0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome on in. This is the Road to Wire Fantasy <laughs> Football Podcast. Today, we are getting into some ADP risers and fallers. Now that we have some actionable stuff going on in training camps across the league we're starting to see some legitimate movement in the draft market so we're going to break that all down some guys that that are rising up the board some guys that are slipping a little bit in light of the start of preseason or training camp let's get the ball rolling <laughs> Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. John McKechney and Mario Puig hanging out with you uh, today, here on this Thursday. Mario, you know whose birthday it is today? Uh is it is it yours? It's Todd Gurley's birthday. Oh, Todd Gurley's. Okay. Uh it is also Tom Brady's birthday. Uh so that's
2: suspicious, it, don't you think?
1: I, I agree. Um, and then it is also my birthday, I guess. Now, now that you mention it, so that that's kind of neat.
2: Oh, happy birthday, Sean! <laughs> those other guys,
1: uh, mostly mostly to Todd, uh, less so to to Tom, um, but but yes, uh, it, it, Leo season and, and so on so forth. I uh, always always like that that Todd Gurley what was same birthday as me. Also a big Simpsons fan and a big Orioles fan, so a, a lot in common. Uh, but uh, yeah. You guys should hang out. I always thought so. He never seemed to to want to want to hang when we were in college, but uh, you know, he I guess he had other uh, stuff to do. Um, but beyond that, uh, we got a great show lined up today. We we obviously have so much going on uh, with, with training camp news. It, it's been you know same as it ever was. Uh, every year we we suffer some attrition uh, across. Uh, Across training camp, it's just the, the the way that it happens. You just kind of hope, especially with, for um, drafters like us who have been getting after it uh, since March and February, that that uh, the, the guys that you have heavy exposure to um, are, you know, hopefully staying healthy or, or at least aren't at risk of missing uh, the the start of the season. Um, but today, we're, we're going to get into some guys that are rising up. Uh, that we've noticed in recent days, and some guys that that are slipping a little bit. So um, I wanted to start with with one riser um, that that you know it, it comes through pretty unfortunate circumstances, and, and it kind of cleared uh, two hurdles out of his path. Um, but I wanted to discuss uh, Marvin Mims with you as someone who who you know now I'm starting to see goes in, in the 13th round or so when it, whereas it, it was. A decent bit later than that and and you know with, with understandable rationale you know if if healthy tim patrick and kj hamler probably would have been an issue for for mims seeing the field at least early on but uh now obviously with tim patrick suffering his injury and kj hamler uh dealing with, with what he's dealing with all of a sudden there there is uh noticeably some more intrigue when it comes to the rookie out of oklahoma
2: yeah it was always looking like he'd be a guy tough to leave off the field, but now we're more so seeing like, rather than on a narrow potential path, it's almost looking like they'll have to use him right away, which uh, changes everything. It, it makes sense that his price is rising. And I personally, uh, personally am high on him. I think he's up for it. Uh, of course, he's not going to challenge Sutton or especially not Judy for targets, uh, target rate, but there could be a decent amount to go around and, even relative to Judy, Mims stand, uh, stands out as kind of like the best deep ball threat on the team. So he's he's the guy who, if they if they want to get that Russell Wilson moon ball going, it's not going to be Dulcich. It's not going to be Sutton. It's not going to be Judy. It's, it's only Mims who can do that. So uh, Sean Payton might just have an entirely different design in mind for Russell Wilson than kind of like that Seattle uh, deep ball look. But I think uh, it would be hard to go without it entirely, even if so. And and Mims is just the only guy who can p- give that play to them. No,
1: absolutely. So, I mean, he he went in the 15th in, in a draft that, that I was in, uh, like, last week. And, and yes, like, like I said, he, he's um, rising up um, a bit since then. So, uh, I guess the, the key landing question when it comes to, to Mims being on, on the rise is is where – uh is your like new cutoff uh for him i think guys like kj osborne and jonathan mingo like you you take them over over either of those guys anyway but you weren't really posed with with that question previously because you could just simply wait and get mims a couple rounds later and target someone like a sam laporta or van jefferson um type of guys in that in that 13th round range but now that he's in that in that mix um you know, where where do you where do you kind of see that that cutoff? Um, is it R- Rondale Moore, Alec Pierce, uh, Rasheed Rice? A- any of those kind of stand out as um, you know where you're drawing the line with Mims? Uh, sorry, I'm uh, a little crazy. As okay. Uh, you know, we we we're a couple of hosts that have a couple of dogs. Sorry, I it, think, it's I, think the way I think the world
2: listening now. Um anyway, <laughs> I, I think it is looking like the twelfth round is where Mims is gonna settle in. Uh I'm saying that based on underdog's ADP listing uh Mingo Thielen Osborne as 145, 147 or so uh between the three. And uh to me, I'd I'd much rather have Mims. I don't have I don't have any interest at all in Mingo. Maybe Thielen and PPR, I should that on underdog I don't Maybe in PPR, I, I could imagine Thielen catching like 75 passes for 741 yards this year. <laughs> so that's that's something in PPR. Osborne, I don't think, has anything. Mingo, he's he's like a – I think he'll be one of those guys who's more useful in real life than in fantasy, uh, first of all. And I, I don't think he's even a top three receiver on that team. So his ADP continues to puzzle me. Uh, however, it's it's that Michael Gallup, like you said, Rondell Moore – Uh, for me, Michael Gallup and Rasheed Rice are also pretty close to more, uh, full point PPR. I definitely prefer more out of that group, but, uh, as a deep ball guy or, or, you know, a big play guy, anyway, one on a team with at least one target hog and maybe a second one. Uh, Mims is a guy who maybe loses a little bit in full point PPR. So I think in half point PPR where, you know, the yardage, the touchdowns is a bigger emphasis. Maybe he's, uh, a little better there because yeah, Moore is going to catch like I'm. Gonna, if he plays, uh, 14 games or so, I think more is going to catch like 80 passes this year. And Gallup, I still think is pretty good. Rasheed Rice is is kind of um wide range of outcomes, but I think one is that he's the clear leading outside rep producer in in that offense. Uh, whereas yeah, Mims doesn't have uh, I guess short of injury to Judy or Sutton, it's hard to see Mims with like a true upside scenario. Uh, and even then it's like, he's, even if he's getting like 900 snaps this year, it's hard to see him, uh, drawing the target rate similar to the first two. Like he's, he's got to get, or I'm, I'm, maybe I'm assuming a little too much about his game, but at Oklahoma, it was a lot of like deep, deep work, you know, he was, he was, right. he was totally fine on screens and stuff like that, but he, he really made his living downfield. And, uh, I assume he's more that type of player in the NFL than the Judy type, which is, you know, he can draw a target like every five and a half snaps, so looking at my
1: exposure real quick, I have Marvin Mims is my second most uh, most shares, thirty four percent. So I think I kind of I have enough Marvin Mims at this stage, especially if if the uh, the price is going to rise in any sort of significant way.
2: Yeah, I think uh, by volume drafter standards, that's a pretty high exposure rates uh, i, th- I think, mm-hmm. think those guys try to Me and john are not really volume drafters uh in that sense like i i uh i prefer to be reckless so i, I kind of keep my um my money under like you know the, the thousands of dollars or whatever um but yeah i think it's i think it's normally more around like 20 that you'd want to be in it uh, like you said though if you don't get another mims share you wouldn't be able to you know dilute it much further than that Nah, what i think i think i'm probably Set there but i i will
1: say that like i endorse um you know any sort of uh st- still going after uh mims if you're kind of just getting started on on he's really uh, good, right and
2: now yeah it's like all the criticisms of him and his game amount to oklahoma's offense didn't feature the task which i'm sorry I, when he's so good at everything that he does get asked to do and he has totally good athletic metrics I'm really going to need some evidence that he's specifically bad at those things, which no one seems to have because they didn't actually do it.
1: And I I always liked it. And I've mentioned this when we've talked about Mims before, but like you, you look at uh, his three seasons at Oklahoma and he kind of had some, some differing functions here and there. And he was able to, to, you know, uh, work well in each of the, of those like assignments that, that he had. So, uh, more volume a little bit later on in his career more of a d- deep shot specialist as a true freshman but like no matter what he was asked to do um he was able to pull it off and um i think he has the requisite athleticism to have the that type of production translate over to the next level so i'm i'm definitely you know vi- very um very firmly on on him as a as a value um where he's going and and you know i think you draw it up correctly where judy and sutton aren't going anywhere the tight ends are going to be involved so We're not talking about an extremely high volume here, but again, I think that there could be some weeks where he ends up, you know, in your starting lineup and 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 you're feeling uh, pretty good about it from there. Um, Before we get on to our next uh, riser, we've got a message from our friends over at Circa. Get ready for more millions guaranteed the biggest pro football contests in vegas are back and bigger than ever with 14 million and guaranteed prizes only at circa sports enter in nevada play from anywhere two ways to win and no rake play circa million make five picks against the spread each week with 100 payback to players grand finale winner takes home one million dollars last place takes home a hundred thousand dollar booby prize with quarterly and full season payouts, six million dollars is guaranteed. Join Circus Survivor to select one team each week, straight up with no repeat selections. If the team loses or ties, the entry is eliminated. Each team can only be picked once in a season. Go twenty-seven zero, or sorry, twenty zero, or be the last person standing to win it all. Eight million dollars guaranteed in that one. So fourteen million in guaranteed prizes overall. Visit
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: For more details. All right, let us continue along our path discussing uh, some risers. Um, Another kind of uh, favorite topic on this show maybe maybe we've kind of covered him a little bit recently but it does seem like like nico collins is, is climbing up uh the draft boards as well of late
2: yeah do you know why exactly because um i can't tell if this was just one of those things where more people get into the actual nfl process you know maybe having spent time on baseball previously uh i don't know if it's just like their projections are kind of changing um because uh maybe I haven't looked for Texans news enough on Twitter or whatever, but I haven't seen um, uh, like viral stuff about Collins. Uh, is he mossing everybody? And I just missed all the posts about it. or something? I,
1: I, I've only seen like one or two. So, so nothing really out of the, no, out of the ordinary. I mean, they, they were both positive, which, you know, I love some, some confirmation of my priors, but um, I think that people are just kind of opening themselves up to the idea that the Texans uh, might not be, the, the absolute worst offense in football this year, there, there might be a smidge of upside. And I think that they also see that just generally, if Nico Collins is going to be the number one receiver and there is, you know, some uh, amount of optimism, some degree of optimism when it comes to Stroud and, and being able to hit the ground running, then, you know, it makes sense for a wide receiver one in an offense that, that has a little bit of juice to it to, to be, you know, picked inside the first
2: 11 rounds. OK, yeah, because I yeah, like I said, I didn't see anything new, um, but his price did go up a little bit. I it's probably just because like more articles getting posted, uh, you know, published, I should say, um, identifying Collins as like a value or whatever. Because, yeah, uh, all along, it looked pretty clear to me, like with a target rate like he had at the age that he was playing. Uh, with Brandon Cooks playing most of the time, it wasn't like um, it wasn't like he only got his usage when Cooks wouldn't play. He got his usage when Cooks would play, too. So with with Collins drawing that sort of target rate, that's arguably the main you know fa- fantasy consideration. The main fantasy concern is like, can you draw usage? Uh, because even if you're explosive, even if you're efficient, it's not as useful. You know, Deontay Johnson, I guess uh, the ultimate illustration, like mm. it, they'd rather have usage than like good play. And uh, therefore usage is a big part of it. And I think that made him kind of valuable, uh, whereas where he was going all along, even if the Texans are kind of a bad offense, like I think if if they turn out to be a good offense, if, if CJ Stroud turns out to be, you know, not far below average, that would have made him a value more like in the 10th round kind of range, let alone like the 13th, 14th, wherever he was going, you know, a few months ago. So yeah, to me, he always seemed like, pretty close to no risk beyond the sense that like he might not be a home run pick. And I know we, I know we want to, you know, we want all bangers all the time. Uh But uh, I think, I think, you know, he, he can be a good wide receiver, like four or something on a team this year on a fancy team this year. Even if, even if Stroud only averages, like, you know, if, uh, if, if Stroud, Completes only 60% of his passes at 6.8 yards per attempt. I think Collins could still be like a wide receiver four kind of thing. And if Stroud's better than that, uh, I think there's room. I, I guess maybe some pertinent background information is I'm pretty low on Dalton Schultz. I'm not convinced he plays that much this year. Uh, I think he's basically not good for an offense. Uh, so I, I think there's room for Mechie and Collins to kind of coexist. Uh, the other the other bit of information I guess is that I'm I'm lower on Nathaniel Dell than maybe most people, uh, certainly CJ Stroud uh, are is. So I, I think there's there's kind of just room for Collins in addition to him already showing that he doesn't really need to be given room. Like he can kind of dictate it. And then there's there's also that he should be a better player this year than he has been either of the previous two. So yeah, I just I never I never saw any reason for caution for Collins like it would have if he was going in like the 11th round all this time, I would have myself maybe pause a little bit more. But as it is, it was always just like, who else am I going to take like uh Roshan Johnson? I don't I don't know. It's like I'm going to take Nico Collins, I guess, no matter how many times. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not taking uh like Romeo dubs uh, over. Yeah, there. no, don't do that. I love dubs, but like don't take him. No, over no. Collins anyway.
1: Co- Collins is 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 set up, I, I think, um, much better uh, for for this season. So I I, I think I, I will be in on on the new price. It, it, I won't be as of a aggr- as aggressive as I was when he was going in the in the thirteenth fourteenth round. But um, even still, I, I really I really think that this is uh, he's a guy that I'm circling as one of those breakout guys, and um, it's it's heartening uh but a, a little bit uh adds to the pressure of the of this take now that that the um the ADP is on the rise
2: yeah uh i guess uh i'd have to look at the let me see uh, for if, if we're calling the uh 120 range is that what we're thinking like a 10th round for collins is that where he's headed oh yeah he's there he's already up at 115 so it's actually a question now where he's going and i'm not going to say i'm off but uh i w- i would still prefer him i I think I would prefer him over Tyler Boyd that might be chasing upside a little bit. Maybe Boyd has a higher floor. I don't know. Um, I probably prefer Odell Beckham for the most part. And it's, it's a little bit of a toss up for me, even between uh, Collins and Alan Lazard, just because I think Lazard could be, he, he, he could just be a guy that catches eight touchdowns every year that he's in an Aaron Rodgers offense, even if he's not, you know, catching 80 passes, so uh, there's something to be said for that, especially on underdog. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty much Beckham is where I guess like 110, I guess, we're looking at is uh, where I'm maybe putting a little bit of a, a slowdown on the Collins uh, consideration. OK, I, I, it has been
1: encouraging to see uh, Beckham out there uh, catching passes and, and uh, you know, we can't quite say looking like, like his old self, but you know, he's out there that that's
2: certainly good with the Rams too. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, he's, he can be less than the very best receiver in the league and and still be pretty sick in that offense. Facts. Facts.
1: Um, we, we have, um, speaking of the Rams, we do have a question from our guy, uh, famous Jay. Uh, good morning. What's happening with this LA Rams, uh, receiving core, um, after cup. So So we know that the cup is dealing with, with an injury right now. It might be a couple weeks till he's uh, ready to, to rock once again and you know you, you kind of end up getting the added concern one because if you've drafted him, you had to draft him in the first round. two, he's getting up there by receiver standards and three, bit of a, a you know a piling up a, of an injury history at this point. And you know our, our kind of overarching point on the Rams for years, you know, save for the, the Super Bowl year, they they haven't been uh, the, the beacon of being able to restock their talent through the draft and through their, their own talent evaluation. So how ugly does this look? I mean, could it look uglier than, than last year if, if uh, Cup is to miss time? I, maybe that's an unfair question because last year was such a disaster in Los Angeles. But, um, you know, e- even still, if you talk yourself into cup, maybe missing some time this year, which, which would be the Rams off or a uh, wide receiver that you would try to get after if any.
2: Well, yeah, it is a little concerning about cup. Um, if he's, if he's like just not available, the, the whole offense would get reconstructed. Uh, so th- it's, it's hard to say there'd be anyone who can like mimic him. But I think, there's there's a handful of guys who are clearly involved, but they have pretty obvious limitations like Van Jefferson. He seems to be, I guess he did have a one couple good games as a, I don't know if that was his rookie year. There was one game or two where cup missed time and Jefferson kind of replaced him in the slot and did okay. But outside of that very short stretch, Jefferson's been this guy who kind of uh, does a lot more clearing routes and he's been, he was efficient that one year with Stafford, but his catch rate was pretty shaky. Uh, he couldn't draw targets with any volume. So I think he's kind of like a perimeter setting receiver, like a finesse one too. He's, he's just, uh, he, he is kind of exactly what he looks like and nothing more. And he becomes okay. in fantasy at a certain price point, I don't know. I guess it's kind of not that far from Nico Collins and all that. Um, but, uh, yeah. just, unlike some other guys in that range, I don't see any upside scenario for Jefferson. So he's at most just kind of like a, a, a depth padding kind of player. So there's a, still a big void left after him. Ben Skournet can't do anything. Demarcus Robinson can't do anything. Uh, Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell are the only two that I'd be looking at after Jefferson. And I, they're kind of in a way more interesting to Jeff than Jefferson because they both have more upside. I think, uh, Atwell, I guess it's, it's hard to say in each case how they would actually get a huge play count because Atwell, uh, he's so situationally specific. It's hard to see how he gets to like 700 snaps, uh, even if he is really good on those 700 snaps. And then Nakua, meanwhile, he he has the frame and everything to play three downs, but he just always got hurt all the time in college, right. I, I guess, except for last year, maybe. So he, uh, Nakua is the one who could like have the most scalable ability. Atwell's the one who I, I think has the most like, uh, efficiency and explosiveness to offer but he might not be able to play in like two uh, two wide sets so uh, it would be hard they'd have to run trips and three wide like all the time for, for Atwell to get to 800 snaps And, you know, we're talking about
1: trips without Cup of uh, three, just not particularly uh, good wide receivers. So, I mean, it's
2: it's ugly. Uh, Sneed Sneed and McVeigh are not getting much better at this uh, finding good players thing. Although uh, Nakua, I guess, is their best work in a while. It's just that's we're comparing that to Skowronek and uh, signing Robinson shows that you haven't learned anything. (laughs) I, I. I once like
1: agree with your, your sentiment on Demarcus Robinson while also thinking like, you know, it was the, he was the best of a bad bunch in, in Baltimore last he's year. He's like, the he, best. He was useful.
2: He's the best receiver. Uh, Yeah. Out of that group. If your quarterback can't throw eight yards, like if, if it's a uh, John Wolford, yeah. Maybe Demarcus Robinson is the perfect pairing for him. <laughs> but, uh, they've moved on to Brett Ripon. I think, I think. Uh, I don't know. That's still <laughs> about bit, about his bad. Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett's way too mm-hmm. good for DeMarcus Robinson. Um that, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, he'd DeMarcus max Robinson Luca. would be useless with Stetson an artist like Stetson Bennett. Cor- correct.
1: I mean the, st- the, the the discourse on Stetson Bennett, it, we we don't need that anymore. That guy's going to be future Hall of Famer of, of of course. Um but beyond that, um let's see here. We do have some some scuttlebutt uh here in the in the chat, Uncle Ted uh, chirping a good bit here um, wants us to talk about uh, Kendra Miller and, and Dwayne McBride. So I think McBride makes sense in a in, uh, in the riser type of frame because obviously Alexander Madison was a little bit dinged up earlier this week, and and it seemed like uh, the fantasy world did kind of fixate on Ty Chandler, and it seemed like he was you know again it's it's a training camp practice, but it seemed like he uh, w- was not making the most uh, of the opportunity of running with the ones consistently. Um, is, is this a spot where McBride is going to start to mix in with those guys and start to be able to flash or, or do we still think that um, uh, he, he might be a little bit away for from quite uh, rising to that level in, inside that uh, Vikings building.
2: Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the Vikings start looking at veteran running backs, because um, I, I think, if they sign someone, it would have to be, I don't know, like Ezekiel Elliott or something like that. Which to me would actually be pretty concerning for Alexander. I'm i I'm a pretty, I guess, uh, solid Alexander Madison investor at this point. So someone like Ezekiel Elliott would concern me. I don't know if Fournette would. Fournette's such a goof. I don't think, I don't think he'd really, especially with o- uh, O'Connell seemingly being kind of stingy about like his requirements within the system, saying something like it's going to be hard for McBride to get up to speed in a year. Or one one training camp it was like, dude, you, you got to get it, your show together in one training camp. I'm sorry, like you don't you don't get three years to teach a running back how to play. Okay, if you have some sort of requirement that makes it impossible to get McBride on the field, uh, you're just neurotic at the very least. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, that neurosis could lead them to to get a, a veteran back, and uh, so I, I hope Zeke signs with the Patriots soon, so I can uh, not worry so much about that. In any case, I do think McBride is pretty clearly going to be one of these guys who um, coaches will, you know, not give him playing time so uh, willingly. And they'll sort of try to justify that by saying, well, he needs to show more in practice. He has to do this and that in practice. And I I think there is a line of some sort where it's like a player needs to show more in practice where they really will be so bad. They like get into a game and just like shut everything down. They're so bad at it. But I think much more often you see that level of poor play from players who just don't have the talent to justify their playing time in the first place. And I think basically guys like McBride, uh, much like, you know, a, a much more severe illustration, uh, a more personal, I guess, illustration of how this can work is McVeigh last year with acres. He was McVay chose to absolutely kill his own team by trotting out everybody, but his best player for some, for some reason. And you know, coaches will do that sometimes. And the, the only way they'll ever get over it, and and they won't so much learn a lesson as feel pressured into giving up their stupid grievance, is if that player that they're holding back has to play for some reason. And when you have to play Dwayne McBride and you have to give him the football, guess what? He's gonna take that ball and, and run further than the last guy. So that's what McBride needs. He needs he needs to actually get that shot. And if if O'Connell puts him on the field, gives him carries, they're gonna say, Wow. That was cool. uh, How did we can just give this guy the ball and he'll get 10 yards. Like he'll, he'll get 10 and sometimes more than that. And we don't have to do anything, but give him the ball. That's pretty cool. And O'Connor might be like, everybody doesn't, he doesn't set with his shoulder between the the, the right pad of the edge rusher or whatever. It's like, yeah, well we like getting 10 yards for free. So he's playing from now on. Like that's the way it has to work. You know, it was like that with DeMarco Murray behind Felix Jones. There's tons of cases like this, but if, if, if Madison doesn't leave the field, uh, be it for injury or getting a breather. And if McBride isn't the next guy up, he won't get that shot by design. It's going to take more injuries yet. So uh, I think it's pretty clear if McBride gets the ball, he's taking it. Uh, not not from Madison on passing downs, but he would be the next back up for sure. Uh, but I think they might sign someone. So we'll see. Kendra Miller, uh, I think he's clearly better than Jamal Williams, but I, I don't know what's a fair expectation with the meniscus and all that. Yeah, I, I
1: really haven't gone much after, after Kendry Miller um, in, in drafts this year, at least for for best ball. Um, I just think it's it's a really muddled backfield. We still don't know what's what's going on with with Camara's situation. Um, so uh, Jamal Williams, uh, I think, yeah, he he's probably not as good as Kendry Miller, but at the same time, I w- I would imagine that Jamal Williams just kind well
2: his of... mascot factor has been sabotaged mm-hmm. by his comments about crepes of the New Orleans area. Oh he, called it, he, oh, he called it, uh, like little funnel cakes or something. And they were like, this guy sucks. And so like, the whole, the whole appeal of Jamal Williams in the first place is that he's like a really, you know, try hard anime character who, 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 who gets everybody like psyched, um, like a mascot. And, uh, yeah, once, once that utility fades, that'll, that'll open up maybe a lane for Miller. Uh,
1: boy. Yeah. That, that was an unforced error on his part. You know, new Orleans in my mind, it's either the best or, or top three food city in the country. You can't be going after beignets like that. Oh, beignets! Sorry, whoops. He called it. He compared it to a crepe. My bad. Wait, and and a and a funnel cake. I, I didn't catch cake. that part of it. And it's not. He's not totally off on funnel cake, but. You know what? That's to me. That's not an insult. I
2: think funnel. Cake yeah. Then also, is, Wisconsin is a and treat. Iowa people should be. Uh, do they have that in the South, too? I just assumed that was like a Midwest state uh, county fair rather thing.
1: It, it's definitely a, like a fair staple, but you don't really um, see it in, in the wild outside of those settings. Oh, OK.
2: We, well, we got other. Um, pride he's craft in, he's in trouble. Is any in any mm-hmm. case? Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, let's see here uh, before we get on to a couple more risers and then we'll, we'll hit some fallers here. Uh, We got a message from our friends over at Fantrax. For you fantasy football players out there, is there something you wish your fantasy league had or features that are missing from your current leagues? Bonus scoring, custom schedules or playoffs, deeper team settings? Well, look no further because we have you covered with our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Create or join a fantasy football commissioner league. Invite your friends and dominate your draft this season. Fantrax is the top dynasty football platform in the industry. Coming from another service, not a problem. Fantrax can easily import any of your current leagues and rosters and customize if needed. Ever have a trade go wrong or make a mistake in dropping a player? Fantrax Commissioner tools allow you to undo any move with one simple click. If there's anything lacking in your current fantasy league manager, Fantrax likely has it. Fantrax is running a special promotion that you don't want to miss. Sign up for free at Fantrax.com slash today to enter for your chance to win tickets to any regular season NFL game for you and your entire league, plus $6,000 in spending cash. That's right, tickets for your entire league. Simply create a new league or bring over your existing leagues for more chances to win. Simply go to Fantrax.com slash and sign up today. Again, that's Fantrax.com. Slash wrote a wire to sign up. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. All right, let's uh, let's grab a couple more higher end um, risers. So we, we were talking a little bit, but before the show, um, in in light of the, all the Jonathan Taylor drama, which we'll unpack here in, in a bit, and Saquon Barkley obviously quelling his by by get uh, signing uh, his deal with with the Giants. It looks like uh, both Saquon and Tony Pollard are, are ticking up a little bit in the ADP. Not that like there's a, a ton of room for them to move up, but they are still doing so a bit uh, into the second round. And, and Nick Chubb, I think, also uh, going higher in the second round now.
2: Yeah, so I guess that's as simple as uh, you know a void created from Taylor uh, slipping in the ADP. I gotta say, it, it kind of bugs me. I don't really want to participate in. Price changes of that particular sort, especially if someone who is already nearby, Barkley and Pollard before Derrick Henry is not really going up, and um, I know there's not an obvious alternative otherwise. But I, I kind of just, I guess I, I think there should be enough receivers in that range that I'm still mostly not looking running back. Like even Barkley, who who I put safely ahead of Pollard, I think Pollard uh, might be a little bit of a trap, but especially the higher his price gets from this point. I don't, he played. 543 snaps last year he might play you know 700 or something this year he might not he might not hold up with it but uh like he caught 39 passes last year had 193 carries uh, i don't know that seems that's it's I, to me i don't think there's uh, i don't think there's as much of a difference or any difference at all between tony pollard and travis Etienne. and now that we're nearing three rounds distance between the two which just feels a little off to me but i, I guess uh You know, if you're if you just really need to take a running back there, that's sort of like the going rate for the region. I I just I I think I'd rather be looking at guys like uh, maybe Olave, I guess, and uh, hopefully someone like Amon Ra or something like that instead, because I just don't think Barkley Pollard have enough upside or Pollard anyway, if Barkley starts catching like 70 passes again, then he could be, you know, the top running back. I just, I don't think there's structure room, structural room with that and, and a Daniel Jones offense. So uh yeah, I guess, I guess I'm just, uh. however much Barkley I wish I had, I wish I bought it when there was still ambiguity about his playing time. Cause uh, at the very least, I think I'd want to wait a little, like a few days a week or something to see if, if those prices maybe keep, stabilizing because because maybe right now there's sort of like panic buying going on like people like oh my god i gotta get this guy because because uh whatever either i need a running back so bad and taylor isn't an option anymore or i gotta get these guys because i got too much taylor or i don't know something like that
1: yeah it's that's a that's a tricky one i I don't think i'm necessarily uh changing my approach on either of those guys like i'll still get the occasional saquon uh much Uh, Less frequency when when it comes to Pollard, especially if that um, ADP continues to climb. And then beyond uh, that uh, running back group, or I guess we need to uh, touch on uh, Nick Chubb before we move on uh, to another one uh, high up in drafts. But but yes, worth it. where where do you think you, you draw the the line with, with him? Like, would you be willing to to grab him at the end of the first, or do you think that like that there could be a situation where he is starting to routinely go, um, in in the uh, in
2: the end of the first round? Like, could he t- overtake B. John Robinson potentially? Well, that would be a little weird. I have had him well ahead of B. John Robinson all this time, but it would be weird for that have to have changed. Um, all all based, I guess, on just the, the 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 suddenly assumed assumption that Nick Chubb could catch more passes this year than we thought. So for, for me, that would always have just been like, well, why wouldn't you have thought that in the first place? Like what, what did you think was going to happen? It seems to me like people just literally didn't think about it until they did and then uh, kind of got hit with like, oh, oh, now I see it. But uh, to me, Chubb was always kind of like a top 10 sort of value and i'm kind of bitter that he he kind of is going in that range regularly now because it was it was a lot cooler before when he would fall to like the late second round which was always crazy but uh yeah the 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 deal with Chubb is uh, the same with Taylor if Taylor plays like it's 2000 yard watch on the ground alone like that that's totally possible uh, pe- people, a lot of people have been probably playing fancy football in such a short amount of time. They didn't even know that there was a such thing as a 2000 yard rusher, but they do happen every so often. And we're, we're going to get one, I think, uh, pretty soon from, from someone like Chubb Taylor, maybe, maybe Henry has one in them. I don't know. Uh, but it's, it's sure as hell not going to be B. John Robinson who does it. Not nah, Ch- Chubb, sorry. Fair enough. Uh,
1: Ch- yeah, Chubb, uh, yeah, it's like that they don't deserve the, um, if they were fading Chubb earlier, they don't deserve to to get in on him now. But yeah, big, big, big fan um, of his projection for for this coming season. Big fan of his, uh, just uh, generally. Let's switch on over and and hit uh, one res- one more receiver riser um, a- as we continue on here. Um, Calvin Ridley now going in the. Uh, late second round routinely, maybe occasionally uh, still going in, in the early third. But when when it comes uh, to Ridley, uh, your your
2: thoughts on him, you know, no longer being that that guy you can target late in the third round. Yeah, so that that one sucks, too. I was definitely getting a lot of Ridley for a long time there. Still probably going to take him. It, it, just like Chubb, uh, it, like the new price was always the thing that I had in my head all along. The, the whole reason I was I was going so heavy all along. So Maybe, maybe like a, a more responsible budgeter than me would say, "Well, since you were heavy early, now taper off a little bit and and draft some other guys." But I'm, my my brain is too, you know, compulsive, and I am just like, "No, more Ridley, more Ridley." And uh, so, yeah, basically, I am I am just drafting the same uh, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Calvin Ridley team over and over, just with a different one at each spot uh, over the weeks because now now Taylor's the third one and, and Ridley's the second one, uh, rather than the vice versa. So um, yeah, I'm stupid. I'm just gonna have uh, every single team is gonna be the same. But I still stand by Ridley at his new price. I, I think clearly this was a guy who who had uh, more than even someone like Amari Cooper, who's I guess the pivot for me. If I can't get Ridley, it's it's I don't I don't I don't see someone else in that range that I like as much as those two. But to me, Ridley even from Cooper stood out because uh, Cooper, as much as I like him, I don't think he really has a 1,400 yard season in him. I don't know why. Uh, I, th- I think he's more like a 1,312 touchdown kind of guy at best. Ridley, I, I think, can give you 1,400, 1,500 yards, 10, 12, 13, 14 touchdowns, something like that. I think Ridley is a totally viable candidate to finish as like a top five receiver. I, I do too. Um, I've
1: drafted him uh, w- with that in mind. Uh, I think I'm at like 31% on uh, on Calvin Ridley for, for this upcoming season, so... Um, Amari Cooper is, is that pivot, but I've only, I've only ended up with like 11%, uh, Amari Cooper. So uh, as much as I I like Amari Cooper, I just, I find that the upside when it comes to to Ridley to be so much more significant.
2: Yeah. And the, yeah, I I agree. Uh, Cooper's issue is upside, but he's, he's got a really good floor for, Oh my God. I, I, I just pulled up, uh, one of my, um, Exposure rates for the. I, I guess I'm way heavier on basically every player that I've ever talked about than I realized. I have uh, Ridley on like 59 of my team. So let's go. Uh, no, uh, that's that's too much. Don't 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 do that at all. Don't do it. No, do be, as I say, not as I do. Like I do. <laughs> it's not a good idea.
1: Um, your thoughts on on um Debo it, among the this uh, trio that we're talking about between Debo Ridley and um and Amari Cooper.
2: Uh, I'm kind of off Debo in that range. I just don't trust the 49ers quarterbacks, uh, including Purdy. I don't think Purdy's any good, and I think that Elbow could be more of a problem than people want to consider possible. Uh, Debo's awesome, but I just, between his durability issues and uh, I don't I don't trust the 49ers quarterbacks, to me, Debo's basically uh, like a round, maybe too, too expensive. And I say that even though I love the player, I just... Uh, I'd much rather have both chargers receivers. I'd much rather have Jerry Judy. Uh, once we're talking Drake London, Terry Mclaurin, DeAndre Hopkins, that's more where I start to look at Debo Samuel again, but he never falls anywhere near that far. No, it, exactly.
1: so it's it, it ends up being like a you know an invalid question essentially because you you're just simply not going to see Debo uh, fall fall into that uh, following cluster um, that you alluded to. Um speaking of players who uh m- might be sliding a little bit let's open things up when it comes to uh Jameson Williams. Um so he has been going oh, let's see here sorry should have uh my production quality today n- not great again forgive me it's my birthday. Uh he's at ADP 101 uh right now which I, I think is is maybe a, a tick down but I, I think that uh more than anything again camp news camp quotes camp takes um can all be should all be taken with with a grain of salt but it, it it from the sounds of it and from you know kind of this quote from dan campbell i'll see if i can grab that for you um here in a second but uh feels like the um jameson williams it, uh people are starting to get a little bit concerned
2: well uh i guess i i have trouble reading into this one because i don't know what everyone is looking at themselves when they, when they say the particular things that they do. And uh, for instance, I know like Chauncey Gardner Johnson was saying, uh, I don't know, I guess it might've already been a couple of weeks. He's, he's saying like, Oh, James Williams looks awesome, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I, I don't like I, you you do a Google search for him. And one of the first results is a 50 yard touchdown bomb. He's catching Uh, yesterday. That was so, I, I I don't know how to take that Dan Campbell quote in in the full context, especially. I'm also including Jameson Williams's uh, prospect background. So when when I what I mean by that is Dan Campbell saying he has to work on his hand, hand mechanics. He's got to just grind on it. It'll probably uh, it'll never be probably like one of those elite pass catchers that you've seen, but it'll be just fine. So. That sounds to me like he's criticizing his hands or at least his ability to kind of like reel in a catch and then I have to wonder is this Dan Campbell saying that he's concerned about Jameson Williams's ability to catch the ball or is he, is he doing that thing I love Dan Campbell but if he if he starts doing a thing about this it's going to it's going to be something that I have issue with uh, the the way that they looked at DeAndre Swift and were like why can't you be a power runner if they look at Jameson Williams after trading up to that 12th pick to take him and then you start doing something like why can't you be Danny Amendola like yeah. that would that would drive me completely crazy like Dan look he can't run he can't run into the teeth of the defense he's not running uh, a five yard uh, slant with with two safeties in the box from the slot that's just not what he's gonna do and if, if you're demanding that he do it and ho- like hold a grievance about it if he can't that's totally the wrong way of thinking and it's it's sabotaging both of your careers but especially james and williams's so um i think though uh this will have to just be one of those things where dan gets over it because they'll just eventually like, I, I i trust i guess someone ben, like ben johnson more to 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 handle this takeaway uh then i guess either dan campbell or the press and what, what I mean, Ben Johnson can kind of observe, okay, I just won't use him that way. I won't I won't put him in a five-yard slant if he's not going to hold on to the ball. What good does it do me? He's getting rocked anyway. He's not built for it. So we'll right. just have him run at further depths downfield. We'll do more to put him in motion to get him away from the teeth of the defense, et cetera, et cetera. And if you just look at it through that possibility, then Dan Campbell's observations don't hold any real substance anymore. They did, they're just immaterial. Which, yeah, so we – We'll, we'll see how this shakes out. Thing, it's one thing to take playing time away from DeAndre Swift when you have like an awesome offensive line and you can put anybody at running back and get like some amount of result. If you want to swap out Jamison Williams for uh, Marvin Jones, have fun watching Jared Goff completely fall apart. Yeah, completely. Like I, I still believe that, that Jamison Williams, like he adds such an
1: important element to, to that offense. I, I think that he makes the defense play on their heels a yeah. good bit more that, that speed. Variable that that he possesses is rare. It's uncommon. We saw it all, all the time at Alabama when when he broke out there. Um, you know, it's it stinks that we're going to be without him for the first six weeks of the season. Plus, you know, it, it, they got the buy uh, in week nine, so that that create makes him a, a fr- like a, a bit of a frustrating asset a for pick. this year. Yeah. But playoffs, yeah, that that could be when things um, really start to click for him. So um, I, I would say if if uh, the market does uh continue to to cool on him a little bit that that i would continue to um go ahead and try to try to acquire more if i could
2: would you take him over collins
1: oh ooh. um oh my gosh I, I actually might take nico collins
2: over him it's uh i think it's definitely a fair either way thing and um yeah, it's it's uh, especially since you can make the Williams selection specifically for the playoffs in mind, whereas with Collins, you might be like, I need to scrape something together a little bit before then or whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I pictured Nico Collins, he's not scored it, scoring an 80 yard touchdown the, the way like my mental image of Jameson Williams goes. But, um, you know, again, you you are kind of sacrificing a decent bit on on the front end and, and you know, really the pressure would, would be on for him to, to really crush the uh, late in this season. Uh, once he's ready to roll, um, when it comes to Jameson Williams. So yeah, that was an interesting, uh, toss up there. And especially in light of, of Collins rising up, um, let's get over to a couple of running backs here. Um, now going in the third round, uh, talking about Jonathan Taylor and, uh, Ramondre Stevenson. Um, when, when it comes to Taylor, um, I guess we, I haven't gotten to fully discuss with, with you, um, the, the drama that that unfolded last weekend and, and uh, you know is continuing in, into this week. So um, what have you noticed when it, when it comes to the market on, on Taylor and, and your thoughts on on how you're going to approach it now?
2: Well, uh, I guess uh, there's some concern that some have about like how he's coming back from injury. I can't tell if people believe the back thing, but it's it's obviously Jim Ursay just doing libel. And it's like J- Jonathan Taylor has no reason to lie about that. You know, like he, if he's lying about it now, it would come up again later. And I mean, Jonathan Taylor is not a moron. So Jim Irsay, however, is a moron. And he is making this like an unemployable head coaching and GM job. Every time he opens his mouth, which is why they've tried to get him back to talking about, you know, they're trying to put in uh, the, 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 like the internet, more articles about how did you know how he's he's paying 20 million dollars to carry an orca across the country he's doing Um, the walesiac thing yeah he's he's, He's he's paying 20 million dollars to carry an orca from florida to washington state isn't that nice uh do you still think he uh i I shouldn't say more um jim (laughs) ursay cool history check it out um Mm -hmm. anyway uh jonathan taylor doesn't seem to me like someone who's actually trying to sit out he's just trying to raise hell which he should and jim ursay uh is bluffing with this nfi list thing if he does that if they if they actually try to like keep taylor out over this fabricated libelous uh back injury thing and it is actual libel because there is actual correspondence somewhere that shows ursay knows that it's not true there's 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 a record somewhere that this has been made in bad faith that team would not play i'll call that right now if they try to pull that on taylor that team is not going to bat for for anybody Steichen might have an issue with it. Steichen sure as hell wishes he didn't take this job already. I can tell you that. So uh it's it's not as simple as like, oh, Ursay can can just make Taylor not play, or like Taylor's not gonna play. Like Taylor wants to play. Ta- that's, that's kind of the that that all does go back to that. Taylor does want to play. He's not looking for a reason to sit out, he's looking for acknowledgement for his contributions. And Urse said, How dare you? Uh I'll threaten your livelihood. And now now we see how that goes but one scenario that i don't see is taylor sitting out this year so i I, not that i have any sort of uh you know there's no case study on this i can't tell anyone what's going to happen because it went some other way like this before we never had a deranged idiot nfl owner instigate a fight like this so i I don't know uh what precedent it would adhere to but just the idea of taylor not playing this year seems ludicrous to me and apple uh doesn't fall far from the tree uh robert ursay uh also
1: not not a fan favorite
2: yeah they uh they those guys suck and uh they're they're really really bad people off the field too i can't say it enough i mean jim ursay is a dirtbag scum of the earth type dirtbag yeah not not a fan not
1: a fan so um uh, circling it all back to to fantasy for for right now so his adp now kind of sits close to the end of of the second um are you going to, are you going to keep going at it if it, if it keeps going to this or, or yeah, do you have
2: I'll to try some... to keep getting Taylor. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess something could develop either way. Uh, I don't think any trade would affect him. I mean, if, if Taylor goes to another team, he's still the second best running back in the NFL at worst. So uh, I, I just, I, I think you have to convince yourself that he's not going to play. I guess there's, there's also, I guess some people are concerned that he will be out of shape when he comes in and, I'm sorry, but this—that's almost like as silly as saying that about Nick Chubb. If—if—if if, if you've seen these guys, the, the way they—they they work, it's out of the question. You—you you will never see Jonathan Taylor pulling a Lenny Fournette like that's no. That's he couldn't be who he is if that were a possibility. I did see one. It
1: you know sort of i I've, I've kind of characterized it as like fan fiction r- rumor. Um, regarding a, a connection between the the Chiefs and Jonathan
2: Taylor, that would be downright comical. But uh, they, that there's there should probably be like a Roger Goodell doing a David Stern, and to be like, you can't do that. <laughs> but with the you can't uh, have one team going twenty uh, and or or 0 or whatever twenty and have I've 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 uh, thwarted it before, and I'll do it again. Um... <laughs> So It yeah. wouldn't be fair. If you give Pat Mahomes Jonathan Taylor, he's averaging like nine yards of carry. It'd just be it'd be completely stupid. They uh it's it's interesting how they they could have had that set up. It's um, interesting. It's interesting that some
1: people would have told them to do that very specifically. And uh they they picked the right uh position. Just uh whiffed a little bit on 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 who it was. Um Ramondre Stevenson. So we have seen over the course of I guess the the last few weeks specifically that the New England is obviously trying to to bolster um, its backfield uh, with, with a veteran in all likelihood. Um, we're we're seeing with, with injuries elsewhere in the NFL that you know some some guys are going to start to get signed, and, and the Patriots aren't like the only team in in uh, looking for the services of another running back. So, with that all in mind, do do we think that? Uh, Ramondre Stevenson is kind of at risk here of of having some comp- unwelcome competition that ends up, you know, hindering his ability to to return value in the third.
2: I, I don't think in the third. And part of why I've I found Ramondre like a pretty safe pick, and still do. Uh, I, although I am, I think I'm going to try to wait a little bit to see if his price maybe drops, uh, either because of Ezekiel Elliott signing soon or just whatever more more market development, some article getting people off of him more. Uh, to me stevenson was always a safe pick in that range because you could suppose that he was already splitting some of the work and still pay off in that range if you had actually projected Ramondre stevenson to get uh the the exact same usage that he got when like damien harris was inactive last year over 17 games he'd be worth a top five pick so uh if if it's like if, if people are going like oh man, Stevenson, it'd be one thing to say, like, oh, Stevenson's not going to get 350 carries and 70 catches now. Fair enough, I agree. Uh, I, I wish I wish he could, but luckily in the third round, he doesn't need to do quite that. If there are other people who are saying, well, no, this indicates that he could straight up get benched, that's ridiculous. I mean, he, he could get benched for his fumbling, but that's just as easily the case with Kevin Harris as it is Ezekiel Elliott, or especially Leonard Fournette. Uh, so I, I think... Stevenson needs to stop the fumbling. It was a problem at Oklahoma. It's been a little bit of a problem in the NFL. He needs to stop doing that because if, if he keeps doing it, then Belichick would bench him for, you know, John Kuhn, it wouldn't matter who was there. So it doesn't matter relative to these free agent talks that that's the case. You know, it's like, it's, it doesn't matter either way. If it was Dalvin cook, maybe that'd be a little different, but the other, th- I don't, I just don't believe so because, or at least it would, it would become less the case. This, the, the more the year went along, because stevenson is just better like he his 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 one drawback is the fumbling he's great at everything else that includes volume and explosiveness both so it's just not often that you can find a player who is as good on passing down to stevenson who has the frame to take on the volume that he can and is also as uh, nimble as a runner as he is that's not something that you just rotate out of the lineup because you have some other name that you've heard of at running back on the bench and just want to get them on the field, too, for some reason. Like Stevenson gets results. If someone gives, if someone can give them better results, then it's because it's a player other than Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, or Leonard Fournette. So they'd have to trade for someone to be uh, similarly competent as Stevenson. It's They're not going to sign someone to be more than an improved backup than what they already have.
1: Yeah, I don't think that um they'd be in the market to like trade for, for yeah, someone when I mean, you already have Ramondre Stevenson. So
2: even I James th- Robinson that- was dirt cheap. Like they they weren't paying him hardly anything. So I, I don't doubt that they want a veteran runner, but if they're not willing to pay them more than like one and a half million for one, what what does that really amount to?
1: No, it, exactly. So I, I think that that you made a really good point there when it comes to you know the. Like where Stevenson is being drafted versus the the expectations, and you know, if you, if you were to apply that those uh, usage rates and everything from from last year, looks totally different. Um, it, but in the third round, we don't need that quite as much. I guess I will throw you a toss up uh, when it comes to Stevenson. So him or Josh Jacobs?
2: I'm a little more c- worried about Jacobs missing time than I am Jonathan Taylor uh and as much as i'm sure you know josh jacobs definitely has that dog in him i don't know if he has that kind of like uh what, what would you even, what do you call that when someone does like every sport at the same time like jonathan taylor and nick chubb just are like olympic athlete lifestyle all the time it's they don't just like stay uh bulky and 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 uh do a lot of running back drills at home they're, they're like they're, they're like total global level crazy athletes so uh, I might be a little more worried about Jacobs coming in with some rust than someone like Taylor, too. So I'm picking Ramandre because I'm not worried about any of that. I'm I'm worried about the fumbling, but I think in a much improved Patriots offense, and I do think it's gonna improve quite a bit, uh, just just from getting Patricia and uh, let's judge off the offense. I think it's gonna be quite a, a different showing there. And I, th- I think it's just gonna be like with that defense. Being so crazy good, and I expect the Patriots' defense to maybe be the best in the league. They're going to have short fields, and they're going to have a lot of time to sit on the ball. So that's another thing too. Like that's why Bill Belichick wants multiple runners. Like he's he knows running back injuries happen, and he knows like we're going to have the ball in enemy field position. And I know now that I don't want Mac Jones throwing forty times a game.
1: Right, so I think that that's a really good uh, summation there on on what New England's offense is going to look like and and Stevenson's you know it, importance to it and uh, I like the the point on uh, the defense kind of setting up the the offense in Crazy advantageous defense. spots. Yeah, I ugh. uh the the Ravens don't make a ton of mistakes when it comes to
2: letting people go, but Judon, yikes, man, yeah, he's pretty good. They got wow. they got like twelve. They got backups that are just like the kind of players that you still dread to see on the field. Yeah. that It's uh, as an offense. Sorry. It's,
1: it's crazy. Um, But I think that's going to do it for us uh, here on, on this edition of the road wire fantasy football podcast. Uh, Thanks to everyone in the chat. Um, Fun streaming this on on YouTube. Now get a little bit more activity uh, when when it comes to uh, hearing from the, from the listeners on, on the live stream. So a lot of fun. Uh, There, of course, a big thanks to our sponsors over at Circa and over at Fantrax and, of course, Blue Wire as well. From Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.